going to actually pick up where we left off last week, Matthew chapter 11 and beginning with verse number 12. Say amen if you're there. Amen. Matthew chapter 11, verse number 12. Jesus is speaking and he says, and from the days of John the Baptist, many of you know that John the Baptist was the forerunner to the ministry of Christ. He's the one that went ahead of Jesus to prepare the hearts of men and women to receive the kingdom message that Jesus was ushering in. It says there again, and from the days of John the Baptist until now, when Jesus was speaking, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence and the violent take it by force. This morning we're going to continue the message we started last week entitled The Struggle. And Father, we ask that over these next few moments you would speak to us. Lord, I pray that our hearts would be open, that we would pay attention to the word of the Lord today, and that we would not find ourselves resisting your word, but may we embrace it so that we might be prepared for the days that lie ahead. We are so thankful, Lord, that you have not left us as orphans. You have not left us without power, but you have given us your Holy Spirit to comfort us and to give us the strength and the power to face all of the challenges that we will endure this side of eternity. Lord, may we be convinced in our heart that it will be worth it all when we see you face to face. And we thank you for it in Jesus' mighty name. And everyone said amen and amen. Would you give the Lord praise in this house one more time here this morning? Amen. Before you're seated, turn to your neighbor and tell him you love him in Jesus' name. Bless God. If you weren't here last week, I was sharing with everyone that three weeks ago, I guess it would be now, uh, I heard a devotional on this particular portion of Scripture that we just read. And even though the devotional itself was really good, it was this verse that just stuck in my heart. So much so that when I got back to my office later that day, I immediately started to study that verse. And little did I know that that study would take me on a journey over the next few days the Lord really began to deal with me about some things on a personal level, a corporate level, a pastoral level. And I guess it was about two weeks ago that I really felt like the Lord wanted me to share some of the discoveries that I had during that study. It's not really a series, it's just really one big message, but we're just going to do it over the next couple of weeks. But the Lord just really began to deal with me. And when you consider the days that we are living in, when you consider the times that are upon us, it is very important for us to listen to the word of the Lord and what God is saying to us in this critical hour. Uh, the big idea, the big thought, if you will, that I'm trying to convey in this series of messages would simply be that salvation is worth the struggle. Can you say that with me? Salvation is worth the struggle. That the salvation that we have found in Jesus Christ is worth the struggles that we experience in this world and along the way. And can I just tell you right now that that is something as a believer you are going to just have to settle in your heart. That salvation is worth the struggle. 
that the salvation I have found in Christ is worth all the struggles that I will experience here on this earth. You have to settle that in your heart. That has to be something that you have resolved right now. It is something that you need to resign yourself to. If I am going to be committed to Jesus Christ in all of my ways, I will experience difficulty. I will experience struggle. There will be crisis as a direct result of my faith in Christ, and I've resigned myself to that, but I have also settled within my heart that all of the struggles are not worthy of being compared to the salvation that I have and what is yet to be revealed when I stand before him one day in Jesus' name. Can you say amen to that if you believe it? You just got to resign yourself to it. You got to resolve that in your heart. And the reason you have to is because if you don't, then every storm that comes your way is going to sweep you away. If you're going to be anchored in this hour, you've got to expect that crisis will come as a direct result of your faith in Jesus Christ, but it will be worth it all when you see him face to face one day in Jesus' name. You know, Jesus never hid from this. In John chapter 16 and verse 33, he said, These things I have spoken to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. What Jesus was saying there is that you will have tribulation, but you can be of good cheer because I have overcome every enemy that you will face. I was tempted at every point, yet without sin, so that you can come to my throne of grace and obtain mercy and grace to help in your time of need. The only enemy that Jesus had not defeated at that moment was death, hell, and the grave, but he was only hours away from doing that. And I want you to tell you that three days after he was buried, he arose victorious over death, hell, and the grave. So what he's saying is, I've conquered every enemy that you will ever face in this life. So you can be of good cheer and say to all of these things, if God is for us, who can be against us? Because in Christ, I am more than a conqueror in Jesus' mighty name. Can you give God the praise for that? You know, earlier in that same chapter, he said this, these things I've spoken to you that you should not be made to stumble. They will put you out of the synagogues. Yes, the time is coming that whoever kills you will think that he offers God service. These things they will do to you because they have not known the Father nor me. But these things I have told you that when the time comes, you may remember that I told you of them. And these things I did not say to you at the beginning because I was with you. I love that last part. Because Jesus was saying, you know what? I didn't tell you what you were getting into at the beginning. Because if I had, you probably would have never joined me in the first place. But now I'm telling you because I'm ready to leave. These tribulations are coming. But I'm telling you ahead of time so that when they happen, you will not be made to stumble. You will not be offended, but instead you will realize this is what was to be expected. There will be difficulties, but I can be of good cheer because God has overcome it all in Jesus Christ. And he says the same to you and I. Listen, do not consider it strange. I told you that difficult times were coming. There would be struggles. There would be heartache. There would be betrayal. But don't stumble. Don't be offended when it happens. Instead, Jesus told me it's 
what's going to happen, but I can still be of good cheer because he's gone before me. He's blazed the trail. He has overcome all of the enemies, and greater is he that is now in me than he that is in this world. I can make it in Jesus' mighty name. Turn to your neighbor and tell him, you can make it. Come on, tell him that. You can make it. Amen. Jesus said it this way. He said, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, but the violent take it by force. What Jesus again was saying there is that as the kingdom of God is advancing in this world from generation to generation, it will always suffer violence. It will always suffer resistance and opposition and pushback. Whenever the kingdom of God is advancing, there will always be a resistance against it. But he says that the violent take it by force. In other words, he is saying that laying hold of the kingdom of God is a violent and a forceful act. He is not saying that we use violence or physical violence to advance the kingdom of God. That is not what he's saying. But what he's saying is because there is that constant oppression, because there is that constant resistance, it is going to take a violent, forceful act on the part of the believer to press through that and to lay hold of the kingdom of Almighty God. And that's why we say that salvation is worth the struggle. It's going to be a struggle to maintain your faith in these last days, but it'll be worth it all when you see Jesus Christ face to face. Here's the problem, though. This is what we talked about last week, is that we don't have a stomach for struggle anymore. We don't have a stomach for difficulty and and crisis and tragedy. In fact, the first sign of any difficulty, we run or we take matters into our own hands. No one knows how to just press through difficult seasons in life. We just run. We abandon it. We don't appreciate affliction anymore. We don't value adversity. We've lost our understanding that it is through times of great struggle that we make our greatest gains in the kingdom of Almighty God. And yet all of us in this room know that it's only through struggles that we really gain anything of significance. In fact, every one of us came into this world through the struggle and the violent action, if you will, of childbirth. And yet what we talked about last week is that we now know that it is through the struggle of birth that a baby is actually experiencing a series of events that is preparing it for life outside of his mother's womb and in this world. And Jesus actually likened our salvation to that of a second birth. And what we talked about last week is that it is through the birthing process of struggles and difficulties and heartache that God is actually preparing us to live in this world for the glory and the honor of God. So if you and I are always running from difficulty and running from the struggles and always taking matters into our own hands, we are aborting the very process that God is using to prepare us to stand strong in the coming days. So don't run, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God and let him have his perfect work in you in Jesus' name. 
If you have served the Lord for any length of time, you know that the greatest growth that you have achieved in Christ has always come on the heels of your greatest battle, in your greatest struggle, in your greatest difficulty. Don't run from trouble because what doesn't break you makes you better in Jesus' mighty name. Come on, give God all the praise if you believe that. Amen. Now, Having said all of that, the one thing I want to make very clear here today is that if we are going to make it through the trials and the tribulations that life will certainly bring us, it is going to take more than just good intentions and a bold confession. If you are going to be strong in the coming hours, in the coming days, when tragedy and difficulty come as a result of your faith in Christ, it is going to take more than a bold confession and good intentions. You are going to need a strategy, you are going to need a plan, and you are going to need to be prepared for that day. Some of you in this room, and and I don't know who you would be, but some of you have struggled to gain any momentum in your walk with the Lord. In fact, some of you have said, why is it that I always feel like I'm taking one step forward just to take two steps back? Why is it I can't gain any momentum? Why is it I can't get any traction? Why is it that I just can't gain any lift in my walk with God? It just seems like I stumble and I fall. Is it because I don't have good enough intentions? No, it's not that at all because I don't know anyone that intends to stumble. I don't know anyone that intends to fall. I don't know anybody that intends to fall into an affair. I don't know anyone that has an intention to cheat. I don't know anyone that intends to sabotage their life. You intend to do the right thing. The problem is that many of us do nothing to prepare for the coming storms. We have good intentions. We make a bold confession, but we have no plan. We have no strategy. We have no way of preparing our heart. And so we'll say, I'll never do that again. This is going to be a different year. I promise I will never do that to you again. And then we fall before we know it. And it's not because our intentions were not right. It was because we were not prepared. We had no plan. We had no strategy. Like the disciples who confessed their love when it was relatively easy and comfortable but they possessed no plan and fell in the critical hour. So many of us will boldly confess of our love for the Lord, but because we have no plan, because we have no strategy, we collapse when the storm comes. And so over the next couple of weeks, that's what I want to talk to you about. I want to talk about what is your plan moving ahead? What are you doing right now and every day to prepare you for the storms that are coming because I'm telling you, the storms are coming. Turn to your neighbor, tell them the storms are coming, okay? Just as sure as you're sitting there, difficult times are coming. What are you doing to prepare for it? Because your intentions and your confession is not enough to carry the day. You need a plan. So with that in mind, I'd like you to go with me today to another portion of Scripture. Go with me to First Peter chapter number four, first Peter chapter four, and just stay there for a few minutes because we're going to need to talk about some things before we actually read the verse that is on my heart here this morning. A couple things I want you to see. First of all, who the author is. Now that's pretty self-explanatory. First Peter, 
obviously the, uh, the author of this is Peter. Peter, the disciple of Jesus Christ, who later would become the apostle of Christ in the early church. Peter was the unspoken leader of the disciples. He was certainly one who talked a lot and, and he led them uh, often. And so Peter is uh, just a very interesting individual. And what we know is that Peter, of all of the disciples, was uniquely positioned to talk to us about this very issue. Because if there was anyone who knew that good intentions and a bold confession was not enough to carry the day in times of difficulty, it was Peter. Because if you know anything about Peter's life, especially as a disciple, you know that he had a knack for making a bold confession and stating his clear intentions when everything was going well, but when the crisis came, he crumbled. He just fell apart. And so if there was anyone who was uniquely positioned to talk to us about this, it was Peter. And no time was that more uh, pronounced and underscored than on the night that Jesus was betrayed. Many of you know this story. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he had gone into the upper room with the disciples to celebrate the Passover feast. Jesus is just hours away from being arrested, and just a few more hours after that, he will be crucified upon the cross. As he gathers there in the upper room, he begins to tell them that his time is coming, that he is about to be delivered into the hands of the religious leaders, and that he will suffer and he will die. And in Matthew 26, in verse 31, I'm going to read a lot of scripture here, but I'm not going to really comment on it. I want you to see, though, that Jesus said to them, all of you, how many of them? All of you will be made to stumble because of me this night. But Peter answered and said to him, because he loved to quarrel with Jesus. I don't know if you ever noticed that. But he was always quarreling with Jesus. He says, even if all are made to stumble because of you, I will never be made to stumble. What an arrogant statement to make in front of all the other disciples. Even if all the rest of these are going to stumble because of you, I am not going to stumble. And Jesus said to him, assuredly, I say to you, Peter, that this night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Now, if Jesus said that to me, I would have called my own prayer meeting and I would have begged God for strength and mercy, okay? Not Peter, though. Peter says, even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And not to be outdone, so said all the disciples. They said, Peter, we're not going to let you be the one that takes credit for all this. Jesus, even if we have to die for you, we will not deny you. Under any circumstances, Lord, we will never deny you. Well, they had the bold confession, and they certainly had good intentions Several hours later, though, out in the garden, in that hour, Jesus said to the multitudes, have you come out? These are the multitudes that had come to arrest him. Have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs to take me? I sat daily with you teaching the temple and you did not seize me. But I guess this is all being done that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples forsook him and fled just as Jesus had said. Jesus had never been wrong on anything he had stated. 
Everything that he predicted came to pass. You would have thought a great sobriety would have come upon the disciples that would have said, we had better take this seriously. We had better pray. But no, they thought the bold confession and good intentions would be enough to carry the day. They took away Jesus and then much later, it says Peter was sitting outside the courtyard and a servant girl came to him saying, you also were, Jesus, were with Jesus of Galilee, but he denied it before them all and he said, I do not know what you're talking about. And when he had gone out of the gateway, another girl saw him and said to those who were with, uh, that were there, this fellow also was with Jesus of Nazareth. But again, he denied with an oath and said, I swear, I do not know that man. And a little later, those who stood by came up and said to Peter, surely you are the one of them, for your speech betrays you. Your dialect is just like theirs. And he began to curse and to swear. And he said, I do not know the man. And immediately a rooster crowed. And, G- and Peter remembered the words of Jesus who had said to him, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. So he went out and wept bitterly. Now, I'm not going to offer a lot of commentary here. It's very self-explanatory. But what I do want to ask is, what happened? I mean, why did he break down so quickly? I mean, how do you go from making this bold declaration like a lion and a few hours later you are a whipped pussycat? I mean, how do you get to that point? Was it because he didn't have the, you know, the right confession? Obviously not. Is it because he didn't have good enough intentions? Obviously not. He had the good intentions. He certainly made the bold confession. The problem is he never took any precautions. He never prepared his heart. He had no strategy. He had no plan. And so literally he fell apart. And Peter represents those who come to church every Sunday morning diligently and they boldly proclaim their love for the Lord and their willingness to die for him if necessary. But by the time they get back home from the service, the slightest amount of difficulty or temptation will cause them to crumble and to fall. And it's because it takes more than just a good confession. It takes more than just having the right intentions. You better have a a plan your heart needs to be prepared because difficult days are coming and if you're not ready you will be swept away it's that simple so listen the reality is is no one ever intends to fail no one ever intends to sin or to fall but it's not enough to just have the good intentions and so peter was uniquely positioned to write to these believers who were living in or around Rome at this time because they were experiencing the very same thing in their life. And that leads us to the second thing that I need you to consider here, and that is the historical context of this letter. Now, I don't always do this on Sunday morning. I do it on Wednesday nights when we're studying uh, a particular book of the Bible. But I don't typically break it down like this on a Sunday morning. But I feel compelled to do it today. There's a historical context here that you have to understand if you're going to know exactly what Peter is writing about. A lot of us, we think that when these men sat down to write these letters, that they were like authors, that they just sat down and you know they had a writer's block and they would walk away for a little bit and then they would come back. They were not like that. 
These men were moved by the Holy Spirit, we know, to write these letters and to write these things down, but they were addressing issues that the church was facing. They were addressing issues that they were dealing with in their community, in their, in their times, in their culture, the things that they were facing as believers with one another. They were taking spiritual truths and they were applying them to real life situations. And we need to understand that because Peter is actually addressing an issue here that is really pertinent to our discussion and was certainly pertinent to what they were going through at that time. You see, the letter of 1 Peter was written sometime in late 64 AD. The significance of that is that in July of 64 AD, Rome had burned. Now, many of you know that Emperor Nero had a lust to build. But because Rome was completely developed, there was no place for him to build. So he had the ingenious idea of burning part of Rome so that he could build once again. Problem was that the fire got out of hand, quickly spread, and about six or seven days later, three quarters of Rome was laying in ash. Three quarters of the city was burned to the ground. And suspicion began to grow that it was Nero, in fact, that had set the fire. So Nero immediately went into fake news mode and began to blame the Christians. And that led to an extended violent persecution. I mean real persecution. Christians would spend years being encased in wax and burned at a stake to actually light up Nero's gardens. Nero would have them crucified. He would even have them thrown to the wild beasts, all because they would not bow to Caesar, but would only bow to Jesus Christ as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So this means that as Peter is writing this letter in late 64 AD, the best case scenario is that they see the storm clouds of persecution gathering in the distance and they know it's only a matter of time before they begin to experience it. Or worst case scenario, the persecution is just breaking out. It's just beginning. So either way, they know it's coming or it has already arrived and they're just feeling the beginning of it and they know it's going to get much worse. And many of these Christians never expected this. They were like, hey, we didn't sign up for this. I mean, consider, you know, we, we just accepted Christ because we were sure that he was the Messiah, that he had come to die for our sin. He rose again for our justification. And we believe that there is only one way to God the Father, and that is through his son, Jesus Christ. Whoever talked about being thrown to wild animals, whoever talked about being encased in wax and burned at a stake to light up the, 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 the Caesar's garden, Whoever talked about that? And all of a sudden, they were thrown into a midst of tragedy that they never expected. And if there is anyone that can address them, again, it's Peter. Peter says, I know what that's like. 
Because when the disciples and I first embraced Christ, it was because we were convinced that he was the Messiah and that he was going to destroy Rome and that he was going to establish the kingdom of God in Jerusalem and that we were going to rule and reign with him. We knew nothing about an arrest. We knew nothing about his beating. We knew nothing about his crucifixion. And we certainly knew nothing about his death and his burial. And that's why as soon as he was buried, we went and we hid ourselves in our, in our homes and we locked the doors for fear that we were going to be next. We never saw any of this coming. And so he was in a unique position to say to them, I know you never saw any of this coming, but I'm here to tell you that you can't give up because just as Jesus rose from the dead, he can raise you to life even if you die in the midst of this for the glory and the honor of God. The disciples knew all of these things were happening. And now Peter is addressing this issue with them. In fact, the entire letter of 1 Peter is addressing this issue and how they were to stand firm in the times of difficulty. And I say that because there may be some of you today who find yourself in a similar situation. I don't know how all of you came to Christ, but perhaps there's some of you that you came to Jesus because someone came to you one day and said, you need to give your life to Jesus because if you do, your marriage will get better. If you come to Jesus, your family will, will get better. If you come to Jesus, your kids will start loving you. Wouldn't you love it to be true, okay? Um, you need to come to Jesus because he'll make life better for you. Some of you, since you've accepted Christ as Lord and Savior, life hasn't gotten better, it's gotten more bitter. Life has become more difficult, more complicated, because now you know as a disciple of Christ, you can't do what you used to do. You can't react the way you used to react. You can't say the things you used to say. There are just some things you cannot do if you're going to follow after Jesus Christ. And so it has complicated the matter, and maybe some of you, like in Peter's day, are ready to bail. You're just saying, I didn't sign up for this. I didn't know that living for Christ was going to make things more complicated and in some cases even harder. And Peter had heard Jesus when he said, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, but the violent take it by force. And so he's taking that principle and now he is applying it to what these Christians in 64 AD were dealing with. And that's why he wrote in 1 Peter 4 and verse number 18. Now, if the righteous one is scarcely, and that word scarcely means barely. Now, if the righteous one is scarcely, barely saved, where will the ungodly and the sinner appear? I'm going to tell you, that is one of the most sobering verses in the word of God. Now there are some that are just frightening. But that one will sober up anyone. If they read it. And it's the first part that I want you to look at today. If the righteous one is scarcely barely saved. Wow. He's actually quoting a proverb. It's proverb 11 in verse 31. 
But in order for you to really grasp it, I want you to hear it in a couple of other translations. One translation says it this way, and if it is hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? In another translation, it says, and if a righteous person is saved with difficulty, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? That is an incredible portion of scripture that probably many of us would like to just erase from our Bibles. But any way you translate it, any way you look at it, the Bible makes it clear that the righteous are barely saved, that it is hard for the righteous to be saved, and that they are saved with difficulty. Now, some of you may say, well, what is Peter saying there? Well, maybe it's better to look first at what Peter is not saying. Maybe we ought to look at that first, what he is not saying, because some of you right now look a little alarmed. Like, is, is Christianity, is salvation, like, just walking out on thin ice? I mean, is it really that weak that I am barely saved here? I mean, what is he really saying? Well, again, what is he not saying? First of all, he is not saying that God has a hard time saving anyone who is willing to be saved, okay? that He is not bringing indictment against the ability or the inability of God. And, and everybody said amen to that one. Like, that would be frightening if he was commenting on God's ability or inability to save us. No, we know that this is not commenting on any weakness in God. It is not because he is not merciful, because Psalm 86 and verse 5 says, For you, Lord, are good and ready to forgive and abundant in mercy to all, who call upon you. It's not that the sacrifice of Christ was not enough or that it was insufficient because in Hebrews chapter 7 and verse 27 we are told who does not need daily as those high priests to offer up sacrifices first for his own sins and then for people's for this he, Jesus, did once for all, for all time and for all mankind when he offered up himself. And he's referring back to the Old Testament high priest who had to offer up a sacrifice for their own sins before they could even offer up a sacrifice for the sins of others. But Jesus, because he knew no sin, was free not only to offer a sacrifice, but to offer himself as a sacrifice for all all of mankind and what he did was once for all time and for all mankind in Jesus mighty name amen nor is it a lack of power on God's part to save in Zephaniah 3 and verse 17 it tells us that the Lord your God in your midst the mighty one will save he will rejoice over you with gladness he will quiet you with his love he will rejoice over you with singing in Hebrews 7 and verse 25, we're told, Therefore he is able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Which is not only talking about God's power to save us, but his power to keep us. He has all the power to save the uttermost who come to God through him, but he has all the power to keep us in salvation because he ever lives to intercede so that your faith would not fail. How many of you thankful that he's strong enough not only to save you but to keep you in Jesus mighty name come on give God the praise for that 
So in no way is he bringing an indictment against God's power because his mercy is abundant enough and his sacrifice is, is more than enough and his, his great power is strong enough to save us and to keep us. So who is he talking about? You and me. When he says that the righteous are barely saved, that they are saved with difficulty, and that it is hard for them to be saved, he is talking about our willingness to stay the course. When you look at it in the context of persecution, which is what the context of this portion of scripture is, he's saying that the struggles, the trials, the tears, the blood, the sweat, the violent attacks, the heartache that believers experience for their faith in Jesus Christ will be so intense that it is only with great difficulty that they enter into the kingdom of heaven. And it is for that very reason that many will fall away before the end and many more will never even begin the journey. That's what Peter's saying. He's saying, listen, I I don't want to be the bearer of bad news, but you've got to know this so that you'll be prepared for it. The struggles, the trials, the heartache, the tears, the violent attacks that you as believers will experience because you have committed to live faithfully before God. Now, if you're not living a faithful life, you're not going to have any of this. You're just not. But if you're faithful, if you want to go all the way with God, the struggles that you will experience for your faith will become so intense that it is only with a great struggle that you persevere and find your way into heaven. It's not God's ability to save you. That's the easy part. It's to keep you staying the course and never giving up. And because it's so difficult, many people will fall away before the end and some will never even begin the journey. Remember what Jesus said? He says, broad and accommodating is the way that leads to destruction. Straight and narrow is the way that leads to eternal life and few there be that find it. You know, This is just my observation. It doesn't mean that it's right. But my observation is we are so uh, desirous to see people come to Christ today that we've lost the art of counting the cost. We just say, look, you want to go to heaven, you don't want to go to hell, come down to this altar, say a prayer, and you'll be saved. Is that in any way, shape, or form an intelligent presentation of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Jesus said, not Pastor Kurt and not Billy Graham, but a great man enjoying his eternal reward today. Amen. But this is true, not because I preached it, not because he preached it. This is what Jesus said in Luke 14. And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. 
Jesus said, listen, it's not about coming to an altar, saying a prayer, going to church on Sunday morning, giving 10% of your income that saves you. If you are not daily taking up your spiritual cross and dying to yourself daily, you cannot be my disciple. If you're not dying to selfishness and saying, Lord, what you will, I will. You cannot be my disciple. And then he breaks into this illustration. For which of you intending to build a tower does not sit down first and count the cost? Whether he has enough to finish it. He is not talking about we have to purchase our own salvation. That was purchased by Christ. He is talking about the perseverance of the saint. What he is simply saying here is how ludicrous would it be for someone to break ground for a million dollar home and never once sit down and say, do I have a million dollars? He says, how ridiculous would it be for somebody to break ground on a house until they first had gathered all of the information, the cost, the hidden cost, contingency money that was necessary, and say, do I have what it takes to finish what I start? And what Jesus says is, before you run to an altar, before you say, Jesus, come into my heart, you need to sit down and ask yourself, do I have what it takes to go all the way with God? Because difficulties are coming. Tragedies are coming. People are going to betray me. People are going to turn against me. They are going to speak evil against me. I may lose my job. I may lose friends. Do I have what it takes to finish what I've begun? I don't want this. Listen. (laughs) I know when I shout, I probably sound like I'm angry. But sometimes it's just I'm passionate. I don't want this to be condemning. Challenging, yes, but I don't want you to be condemned. More than anything, I want you to be comforted. Because I believe that some of you are honestly struggling right now and you feel like giving up because the temperature, for whatever reason, has been ramped up. Now, right now, thankfully, we do not live in a country where we have to worry about being fed to wild animals for our faith. (laughs) Yes, that is a very big amen, okay? I'm thankful that we, we live in a country right now. I don't know what the future holds. I do sometimes see dark clouds on the horizon, but right now, I don't have to worry about dying for my faith. But there are some of us in this room today that our faith in Christ has put us in times of great hardship. Some of you are experiencing this in your marriage right now because you're married to a husband or to a wife that at this point is not a follower of Jesus Christ. And what they want from you in marriage would actually compromise your commitment to following Christ. Or maybe they are so difficult in the marriage that you want to divorce, but you know that God says, stay. Whoa, that hit hard. Some of you are experiencing this in your family. Some of you are experiencing your work environment. Not that you have an employer that has said to you, if you serve Jesus, you will lose your job. But maybe in some cases, you are being asked to do things on the job 
that are unethical, that are ungodly, that are unbiblical, and you know if you don't do them, you will lose your job. Some of you are feeling it with friends. Some of you are feeling it with other relationships. For some of you, it may be even more personal than that. Some of you, I think you love the Lord, but right now you're having a hard time abandoning habits that you've developed over the years. And it's hard because every day you've just got to crucify that flesh and say, no, I'm not going to do this. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in this world. For some of you, you don't even want to stop. And so now you're in the position of bending scripture to accommodate your lifestyle. You you twist scripture, you turn God's grace into a license to sin and say, I'm not saved by my performance, I'm saved by my faith in Jesus Christ, so I can live any way that I want to. Oh, no, you can't. You need to read your Bible better than that. You know, I was thinking the other day of another situation, and that is of how hard it is to live a biblically principled life today. Like, it's just hard to, to, to live a biblically principled life. It wasn't always that way in this country because we once used in a, lived in a country that was at least civilized enough to say we can agree to disagree. That even though that is what you believe, that is not what I believe, but that's all right. We can agree to disagree and we can still go out and be friends and, and, and have a good conversation together. We don't live in that country anymore. Today, if you don't agree, then I'm going to label you a hater. I'm going to ha- label you a bigot, a racist, a phobic. I'm going to label you as being privileged. I am going to demonize you and your character because I want to attack your life. And when you hear that day in and day out, it brings about a temptation to compromise. And sadly, that's where many Christians and many churches have gone today. They are so afraid that if they stand for the truth, that they are going to be considered haters, that they compromise the truth and look for common ground. Folks, I will always look for common ground, but we've got to stand for the word of God, even if it means death in Jesus' mighty name. And Jesus, foreseeing all of this, said early on, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence. And some of you are saying, well, why does it suffer violence? Because the kingdom of God is a kingdom of light. And that means that when the kingdom is advancing, it is exposing, it is unearthing, it is uncovering, it is revealing. And the world hates the light because it loves the darkness. And so it does everything to attack it, to resist it, to fight against it, to terrorize it. And this is meant to wear you and I out so that we will quit. And the reason is because the darkness knows that they've already been defeated. They can't defeat us as long as we remain in Christ Jesus. How many of you know light always wins over darkness? When you turn the light on in a dark room, there's not a battle between light and darkness. No, light comes on immediately. Light always conquers darkness. And darkness knows they cannot defeat you, so they want to beat you into submission so that you'll quit, that you'll give up. But you got to dig in and say, no, the violent, take it by force. And no matter what hell brings against me, I'm standing fast. In Jesus' name. Come on, somebody, give God the praise for it.
Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Jesus says the violent take it by force. The violent. And again, it's not physical violence he's talking about here. He's, he's talking about the strong and the forceful. I'm going to tell you, you've got to have a mental attitude of force and strength. Say, this isn't going to be easy, but I'm going to stay the course they take it by force. And that word force is, is great too. The word force there, it means to snatch away with force. It means to catch or to carry off violently. It's not this casual taking up. It is snatching it. It is recognizing it. And really what he's saying is, this salvation is a matter of life and death. Eternity is resigning on this right now. And I cannot wait for the enemy to take it away. i got to snatch it violently if necessary. Because I'm not going to miss eternity for a few kicks here on this earth. In Jesus' name. That's the idea. You know what's interesting? is that that same word is used in the parable of the sower and the seed. Remember that parable that Jesus taught? I'm not going to go into it, but listen to what it says. Matthew 13 and verse 19. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, then the wicked one comes and snatches it. There's that word. He snatches it with force. He catches it. He carries it away by force. Um, that which was sown in his heart. This is he who received the seed by the wayside. Satan knows the power of God's word and that if it takes root in your heart, it will do exactly what God sent it to do. And so the enemy is just waiting to snatch it from your heart so that it never takes root. And you've got to just realize that every time you hear the word of God, there is an enemy that wants to seize it. So you've got a matter of moments to make a decision. Am I going to harden my heart or am I going to lay hold of this word and be what God has called me to be you either take it by force or the enemy will so rise up church in this hour don't let the enemy take it you take it in Jesus mighty name come on somebody give God all the praise for that see the Bible says that you're not ignorant of his schemes you're not ignorant of his plans and what he does, and, and you, we don't realize it because we don't see the devil. We don't see our enemy. What does he do? He uses disappointment. He uses betrayal. He uses loss, sickness, crisis. For some of you, he uses the words of your husband and your wife to attack you so that the enemy can come in and take that word and you will not believe it. But you've got to say, no, I'm going to stay the course I'm going to hold on because salvation is worth the struggle. In Jesus' name. Bless God. Well, I should finish right now, but I'm not going to. Because I, I got to give you this. Because I, I got to give you more than just that pep talk. I got to give you something that when you leave here, you can say, okay, I'm in a fight, but this is what he told me to do. Okay? So just give, me, just give me a couple minutes. It won't take long. But verse 19 was said in response to this. Look at verse 19. Therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to him in doing good as to a faithful 
creator. So that's what Paul says. Paul says, in light of the fact that the righteous are barely saved, and when they are saved, it's with difficulty. He says, this is what I want you to do, and he offers three things for us to do when it comes. This is part of the strategy. We're gonna build on this next week. There's three things. Number one, and this one's gonna be the hardest pill for some of you to swallow, because it is gonna mess with your theology. But just understand, I'm not saying it. The Bible says it. Number one, sometimes suffering is the will of God. Oh, I could feel the knives, okay. I didn't say it though. Verse 19, Peter said, therefore let those who suffer according to the will of God. You just have to accept that sometimes the suffering you are going through is necessary, that it is the will of God. Understand, when he uses the word suffering, obviously he's talking about these men and women being persecuted, but there is probably a better uh, overarching word, and it's discipline. It's discipline. Discipline is always the will of God. And you have to remember, there's always two kinds of discipline. There is a discipline for correction, that's the one we know. There's discipline when there's correction. When I've done something wrong, I need to be disciplined and corrected from that. But there is also a discipline for conditioning. Think of an athlete. An athlete disciplines their body to condition themselves for the fight, for the race, for the match. Okay. Now listen, there are times when we suffer because we disobey God. And built right into disobedience are the consequences to our actions. Let that one not say, well, God is conditioning me. No, he's correcting you. You disobeyed. You know, like the person that gets up and gets drunk one night, goes out, wrecks the car, gets arrested for DUI, has their license taken away for a year and says, well, God's conditioning me. No, he's correcting you because you're stupid, okay? That... (coughs) (laughs) Okay, so just understand, that is correction. And how many of us have ever been corrected by the Lord? You you made a stupid decision. You you went against God's word. You suffered the consequences. And you just humble yourself under his mighty hand and say, Lord, have at it. Because I got to be corrected from this, so I'll never do it again. But then there are other times when what you're going through is preparing you for greater things in the future. You know, I just came through the the Olympics. It's hard to imagine. Some of those skaters and skiers have been skating and skiing since they were five or six years old. Some of us couldn't even walk at five years old. And these kids are just mastering skating at these young ages. And they're preparing and they're conditioning themselves for one day the Olympics. Folks, listen to me. God knows what he wants to do in your future. But in order to prepare you for that, he has to allow some weight, some resistance, some difficulty, so that you can build up the muscle that will sustain you in the future. In Jesus' name. Come on, folks. Sometimes, how many of you want God to use you in great ways? Come on, you'll want to be used in great ways with your family, your community. You're going to have to endure some discipline. Second thing, commit yourself to the Lord. 
The best thing that you can do when suffering is there is just say, Lord, I'm committing myself to your hands. Commit means to entrust. When I go away on vacation, I go to all of my neighbors and tell them I'm going away. Would you watch my house? What am I doing? I'm entrusting the safety of my home to them to a certain degree. When I am going through a struggle, the best thing I can do is to entrust my life to the Lord. And that just means that I'm not gonna take matters into my own hands. I'm gonna entrust my life into your hands. I'm not gonna do what I wanna do. I'm not gonna run. I'm not gonna fold. I'm gonna give you my life. I surrender all. You know, I love when Jesus was on the cross. He cries out. And what does he say? He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But in almost the next breath, what does he say? Into your hands, I commit my spirit. What Jesus was saying is, I don't understand everything that's happening right now, but I'm gonna commit my life to your hands because you are able. And folks, that is the best thing that you can do when the difficulties are there, when the struggles are there, is say, Lord, I don't know where you are in this. I don't know what you're doing in this, but I'm gonna entrust my life to you because I believe just as sure as you raise Jesus from the dead, you will raise me from this situation in Jesus' name. Come on, everybody. Say amen. And then... And then finally, please remember that he is faithful. Remember that he is faithful. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so he is not gonna be moved by what you're going through. So you stand fast and just know he's gonna bring you through. In 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 13, he tells us that God is faithful because he will not allow us to be tempted beyond what we're able to bear. In 2 Thessalonians 3 and verse 3, he tells us that he's faithful in that he will establish us and keep us from evil. And in 1 John 1 and verse 9, he tells us that he is faithful in that if we will confess our sins, he will be faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Folks, don't give up. I don't know what you're going through, but don't give up. You're gonna suffer violence, but the violent, take it by force. In Jesus' mighty name. Would you stand to your feet here with me today? And would you just lift your hands up before the Lord here this morning and just thank him that he never fails. Would you just do that? Bless his name. Bless his name. Father, we're going to be on this journey for the next several weeks. And I pray that throughout this journey, all of us would consider the faithfulness of God. Lord, as I said, some here today are going through some very, very difficult situations, even things that we didn't even have time to name. But Lord, your word says that they can be of good cheer because you have overcome the world. And so I pray that they would not be shaken, that they would not be moved, but they would stand fast and know that if they will stay the course, you will bring them through. As we said a moment ago, 
weeping may endure for the night, but joy is coming in the morning. Sure as that sun rose this morning, so Lord, you will raise them from their circumstance into life. Let them not grow weary in doing well. They will reap if they faint not. In Jesus' mighty name, everyone said, amen and amen. Yes, give the Lord praise in his house tonight. Bless God. Amen. Hey, at 6 o'clock, we're going to be doing some baptisms. And even if you don't come to our discipleship classes on Sunday night, I would love to have you come out for those dedic- uh, for those uh, baptisms. I know it'll be encouragement to those that are being baptized. God bless you. Have a wonderful afternoon.